With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mike on Howie, Chris on Soups, Mace on Hal, and Matt on Group. Wake up Wednesday and we feeling it like nothing can intrude as we read in the tome of big stacks, singles bagged and boarded, fitted in a box in the lab recording. Thoughts as they come, whatever they be. Comics is a world that we become. Sit back, listen to the man he sold. Wherever you are, wherever you're from, the Wednesday show is for all of y'all who leaf through books in solitude. Open up worlds that you dream of. The following show is from us to you. Peace. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Friday Tide, the Friday Tide, the best podcast you've never heard of. I'm Dr. Mouse, joined as always by the CB Cosmologist, the Galactic Encyclopedia, the Angler Aficionado, Andy Samberch. And we're here <laughs> with a live, special, limited edition, live in studio once again with uh, cameo guest stars. Do you have goofy names for them? No, you introduce them. I fucking do all the work on the show. (laughs) Okay. Very annoying to me. I see how it is. (laughs) Um, Fair enough. So we've got uh, to my immediate left. No, don't give him the mic yet. I'm not introducing him yet. Um, He is a true radio professional uh, who does this more often than than I do, certainly. I only do this once a week. Um, Our dear friend, Sam. Sam is the nickname right. for Samuel, so that's the that's the whole shtick. Just Sam, that's me. <laughs> and making his grand return after I don't know years and years of not being on this show, um, we're still waiting. I'm anxiously waiting, bated breath. The suspense is killing me for uh, inside Oscar Isaac the uh, fawning fan fiction podcast that the two of you promised us many, many moons ago. Oscar Isaac's number one fan, <laughs> Lando. Yep, that's me, Lando the Bootlegger, a.k.a. O-Town Down. But that... yeah, it's been too long. Uh, don't call it a comeback. Is that going to be like Journey to the Center of Oz- Oscar Isaac? It's going it, it, to... The, like the The idea for the show... Is that Lando and I meet every week and we talk about Oscar Isaac's big dick? Yeah, <laughs> we talk about his filmography from beginning to end. Um, we're pretty close to completing the process of pre-production, <laughs> insofar as we've done nothing. But you talk about Oscar besides Isaac a whole lot, talk so. about it a lot and yeah, maybe lots of good brainstorming. <laughs> Yeah, so we're still brainstorming. So this is a, a follow-up podcast. We left uh, the last week on a cliffhanger. We we were going to decide whether or not we wanted to do an entire episode dedicated to Glass, uh, provided there was enough to talk about, or if we were going to do uh, just tack on 20 minutes at the end of that podcast uh, and release it all in the same week. We have decided that there is indeed enough to talk about. Uh, we also got two other people here who are going to give their thoughts on the movie. Then we will do 
and I apologize for not having this last week, the Peabody Award-winning, Pulitzer Prize Award-winning, Tony Award-winning segment (laughs) (laughs) at the end of the show. So I just want to get sort of immediate uh, reactions from the cosmologists who could not shut the fuck up about the movie in the car on the way back from the movie theater. So you had a, a lot of thoughts about this film. Yeah, and I got my first draft out in the car and or... Blew my load And you fucking have totally ruined the whole show. Totally ruined it. Yeah, so it's a good thing we've got people to to pad this now that I'm out of things to say. Um, So this film, um, Sam and I were were talking about this on the way way out. And Sam, you can give me your thoughts as well here. Um, I think this film does not in any way redeem Split. I think we're all in agreement that Split is still pretty boring. Are we in agreement? Uh, well, let's, let's take a let's take a vote. <laughs> yeah, Orlando, like very few, like just give me your general thoughts about the film Split. Uh, overall, disappointing. Not all bad. Some flashes of good moments. Um, even though I was let down, the highlight for me, like a lot of people, was James McAvoy's performance because not easy to pull off what he did, but. Overall, let down, especially when you factor into the rest of the trilogy, you know, preceded by Unbreakable and succeeded by Glass. And so, Sam, just to intro you here, you had made the point, I think, that uh, Split was improved for you upon a second watching. Can you elaborate on that? Well, I uh, I hate to say I was paying closer attention to the movie the second time. <laughs> It's an easy movie to like to drift off in. <laughs> yeah. Um I I guess I would just say I enjoyed it more because I wasn't having to like follow the plot and try and imagine like why do I care about these people? Mm-hmm. What who trying to keep all the identities straight. Right. And since I sort of already knew what was going to happen, I just it the plot didn't matter. <laughs> It, it certainly didn't matter for M. Night when he wrote the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so it was weirdly a more enjoyable um, watch. I, I wouldn't say it was like, now it's a good film in my head. Yeah. So, so I- does it, Sam, does this film, one, redeem Split, and two, the follow-up question for the both of you, could you watch this? Could you? Would you have enjoyed Glass more without seeing Split? Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go first. I actually like Glass better with Split because, um, although I I really didn't like uh, the Casey character, um, I her motivations were just very confusing to me, but. Um, the whole concept of James McAvoy's character, I think if they had tried to shoehorn that into into Glass, I mean, after Unbreakable, I it would have been... Because that's why Split wasn't that exciting to me, was it's like, well, why do I care? But at least I didn't have to watch all that in Glass. Mm. Yeah, we were making this point on the previous episode that this is new in terms of building out a superhero in the first film, a supervillain totally separately in the second film, and then bringing them together. And um, by giving each character enough room to sort of breathe in their own films, then you aren't 
jam-packed and shoehorned trying to get the exposition and the motivations out first while also doing action. So at least we know who the Beast is and all that. My question to you both, though, is since they did put in a couple of clues about here's what the Beast is, here's the background, if you'd just not seen Split at all, do you feel like that would have been enough for you? Could you get away without with this by just not seeing Split? I think it's a little bit of both. I think... Um... If you skip Split and go straight to Glass, you're going to be lost because so much of the multiple personalities of James McAvoy's character, or characters, plural, get introduced and established in Split. And like you said, sometimes it takes multiple movies to build out this universe that they've created. Um, So part of me says you should see Split, however much you like or dislike it, before Glass, but at the same time... it's like Sam said, it's hard to care about the characters in Split, and I still cared more about Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson from the first movie, and they weren't in Split at all, except for like a brief cameo by one of them at the end. And so I think that's why I liked Split more. So I mean, it really depends what experience you're going for, for the whole series. If I'm a completionist, so I'm glad I saw Split before Glass, even if I didn't like it as much. But it really depends how you want your superheroes and supervillains written and developed. Well, you're absolutely welcome here as a um, stubborn completionist who will watch (laughs) something you don't actually necessarily enjoy just for the sake of having completed it. And you are not going to be lost watching Glass if you haven't seen Split. I mean, the only thing you need to know is that the guy has multiple personalities and that... Casey's the only one who survived the movie. Like, if somebody told you that at the beginning, you would be like, okay, I get it. It makes sense. And it's also, like, so obvious in the trailer. Like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, I um, I actually think Casey is the problem. I You could totally watch Glass without Split, I think. But then I would be like, who the F is this girl? And why, like, really, why does anybody care? This is interesting because I'm actually... I might be more confused about Casey having seen Split. So they're doing something... We need to sort of break down what they're trying to do when they reintroduce each of these characters, we're going to go through this in a minute. But so let's start, I guess we might as well, with McAvoy, with uh, Kevin Wendell Crumb, and Casey. So Casey is the final girl in Split. And like, and so let's talk about genre films, because we were saying last week that Split doesn't really know what genre it wants to be. Is it a horror film? Is it a supervillain film? What's it doing? So by super, uh, it's final girl logic, she defeats or avoids being killed by the monster by embracing her inner monster. So she was broken, she was abused, she's damaged, therefore she doesn't die the same way the like soft, her, her soft other classmates do. Okay, that's fine. But now we're redeeming the monster in Glass? Like, what are we trying to do with Kevin Wendell Crumb here? Because he's, he's, the Beast is a supervillain. But Kevin, all of a sudden in Glass, is a little bit Hulk, a little bit sad werewolf, a little bit, like, misunderstood monster. Just really quickly, before we go down the rabbit hole of genre films, um, I will say that even though I was disappointed by Split, um... There's something important that happens in Split from a filmmaking perspective, from a writing perspective. You see the therapy sessions with James McAvoy and his therapist, psychologist, what have you, as she tries to understand the motivation and 
the the behaviors of all the different personalities. And I will say the good thing about Split, even though I was let down, was you find out who Kevin Michael Crum is. Is that his name? Wendell. 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 Kevin Michael. Uh, Kevin Wendell. You would Crumb. never survive an encounter with a beast. You can't get the name right. <laughs> I think what's trying to happen to Kevin a- to, An- memory to Andrew is broken. To Andrew's point, I think what broken. what the film, what the narrative is trying to do, is trying to establish or reestablish uh, Crum as the dominant personality because he's kind of um, out- overpowered by the other ones like the beast and. Um, uh, Hedwig in Split, and then you see more of him in Glass than you do all throughout Split. I think they're trying to make that the dominant personality because that's the good one. That's the one that was good when certain things happened with a certain train. So uh, I think that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to redeem him through the good personality, if you will. Uh, and I think that's what the girl is trying to do, the final girl who was in Split. But... Um, I don't know. I, I think it could have been executed better, but I th- I think that's the end game, and I think they touched on that at the end of Glass. Who, by the way, there's the Horde, and then there's Kevin, and they're not the same, and then there's the Beast, who is part of the Horde, or no? Wait. So here here's the, here's the whole problem with the whole movie, is that the the base reality, like the 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 little boy whose dad died on the train, that's Kevin Crumb. And this dissociative identity disorder then creates at least 23. uh, Too many. Yeah, too many. 23 identities, none of which are Kevin. And the doctor is, uh, leaves this note that's like, say his name, say Kevin Wendell Crumb, which is a strategy she never used in any of the therapy sessions that we saw. There There was no attempt to get at the core identity of this person she was therapizing the different identities and we only encounter kevin and split for like two minutes he comes out right but then he uh, the beast overcomes him so he can't escape that and then we're supposed to understand based on her uh casey's interactions with uh, what's his name, uh, Hedwig, and the other sort of like nicer personalities that there's something redeemable there when there is no evidence to suggest that. And so it makes Casey like a Harley Quinn-esque figure where they're yeah, trying to like portray her. Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, they're trying to portray her as somebody who has some kind of agency and sees the humanity in this person, but there's nothing that she's experienced that would indicate that that's the truth at all. She has been tortured and kidnapped by this man and barely knows who this man is beyond these like crazy identities. And if anything, her uh, association or empathy is not with Kevin. It's with the Beast. Right. It's the Beast at the end of Split who shows her that her scars are, you know, badges of honor, and her it ge- the Beast actually gives her the strength to um, uh, get her uncle condemned for abuse. So then what is the affinity that the movie, by drawing lines of affinity between Casey and Joseph and uh, Elijah Price's mom, what's her name? Mrs. Price. Mrs. Right Price. And Mrs. Price. What, what, the, what is the movie trying to communicate? Because all of their, the, their counterparts are at these great odds with one another. So there's something, some kind of through line that Shyamalan's trying to say, or Mr. Glass even says about, there's a hero or something extraordinary in all of us, and we just have to give give each other permission to express ourselves and come out of the closet, I guess. Right. But the only, most of those 
things are d- dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there. Um, two things. <laughs> to to Mike's point earlier, um, I think this was my disappointment with Split. You know, they mentioned many times in the film that James McAvoy is portraying twenty three different personalities. 24 when you count the beast. That's fine. 25 when you count Kevin. Except here's the problem. The film is only so long. I pause. I, I uh, pose the question, maybe this would be better as an, a TV series on Netflix so you can give all these personalities time to develop, time to be could be called 24. Treat, treated in therapy <laughs> with the psychologist. We only get three of they them for a significant them. amount of time. It's like uh, Mike said, we don't really get Kevin until like, Five minutes before the end of Split, and then much more in the opening segment of Glass. Uh, that's my first point. The other point is to Andrew. Um, I see this after having seen Glass as kind of like an X Men scenario, in that you have two warring sides. Instead of Magneto and Xavier, you have uh, the Overseer and Mister Glass. But um, Mister Glass just doesn't give a fuck and he wants the world to see all of them good and bad and he's tired of living in the shadows and even though it costs him and the other two their lives you know they were able to yes in some way succeed uh because now the world knows about not mutants whatever you call these superpowered beings uh because that would be you know legally yeah, dangerous we'll just say metahumans metahumans i think is, is a good general term but um i think i think that's what Shyamalan as a writer is going for with the end of glass and i don't know where they're going to go from here but that's what i thought of when we were watching the movie today could i say i i had some issues with all the the secondary characters mm-hmm. just the the way they were not just the right the way they were written but um they're loose threads and when you're trying to craft this like intricate story with twists and like this society for 10,000 years has been protecting us and then they're like but you can go the three of you right yeah who believe like yeah they would definitely get sniped yeah they'd get killed (laughs) yeah it would be like boom in kevin and then boom i'm mimicking like where the bullets would go boom in casey Boom, boom. Yeah, the fact that they didn't just shoot Kevin through Casey. Yeah. Well, so, so let, let's talk a little bit about uh, where Glass picks up because uh, one of the things that I will say that this movie was so refreshing after Split because we, we saw Unbreakable, we saw this sort of like general schematic of the what M. Night Shyamalan was trying to do with the superhero movie. It was a sort of metatextual uh, uh, commentary on 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 superhero movies, where one of the characters understood the beats and was explaining it to the audience and to the characters, and the characters were becoming to understand, like, oh, this is the this is where I do this, and this is where I do this, this is where I do this. Then we go to Split, and none of that exists. Samuel Jackson is not in the film. There's no meta commentary. It is just there's just two hours of there's two hours of uh james mcavoy making scary faces at three girls and then at the end he lets one go um and then the movie starts and then we're right back to unbreakable 
So the same way it was like, I didn't like anything about Split, M. Night Shyamalan, by making Glass the way he did, was like, well, neither did I. So <laughs> here's, here's, here's a good movie. And this is, just feels totally like a direct sequel to Unbreakable, which it is, but the idea of formalistically, we're back to our squares, right. we're back to like strong color choices, we're back to very comic booky framing. Yes. Um, and the first 10 minutes or so um, of the, like, where's David Dunn been? Right. And we were saying that his, like, Oracle, Batman-Oracle relationship with his son is really engaging. They've got chemistry. We'd absolutely love to see just, like, uh, an overseer movie. And maybe... It would be so cool. It would be so cool to see Bruce Willis, like, and his son... Uh, navigating through Philadelphia too, which is a breath of fresh air to see like a new city and a, a different architecture. Just you know, gallivanting in West Baltimore or West Philly. <laughs> <laughs> it should. I would love a Baltimore Baltimore based superhero, but like to have uh, that dynamic built out even more. I feel like I'm I'm hating Split even more now because it's like you spent so much time. On on this this part of the of the story that doesn't need heavy ex, like explanation like I understand I see that I get it I understand the characters dilemmas I understand its limitations I understand the 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 trauma it, you barely even show me but I still understand it because I understand superhero movies but old grizzled impervious guy working with his son as like a fucking uh, father son exercise of like petty crimes petty crimes the crime that we see him uh what would the word be superman punch that one <laughs> no that's but the like, crime. that's the crime but he, uh, it's not even like it's uh, not a he's misdemeanor av- he's avenging but it's not even that because it, it, it's it it's it, so more much more interesting i feel like than batman in a lot of ways because a batman is avenging what he's doing is he's like giving He's like the guy who punches the bully in the face on the playground. He's like, don't do that again. <laughs> you Superman punched a defenseless person. You put it on the internet. And for that, you get smacked. And I <laughs> want to see that for an hour and a half. I think that's more interesting than uh, anything else in that film. And what's interesting is that's very much like 1938 Superman where he'd go yeah. and like fight like Pinkerton. Nobody. Yeah, like just a random like landlord is harassing his tenants and Superman comes in through a window and beats him up. <laughs> I uh, I have so many thoughts in reaction to you because, um, I mean, one of them, probably the big one is, is it just that um, Kevin Wendell Crumb isn't that compelling of a villain? Because, like, if you told me, like, hey, do you want to see a Loki movie? Right. And be like, yeah. Yeah, I, but I think that there's there's something different about Loki. Like, Kevin Wendell Crumb is just Two Face. Like he's just like he's a character that we already understand. Somebody who has this, this he's he's Doctor Jekyll, he's Mister Hyde. He's like, except there's twenty three instead more. of two, yeah. you know. And there is, if you really isolated the really important points, you need to understand that character from that movie. You could do it in twenty minutes in Glass. I was actually just thinking that um, the more we talk about the direct connections between Unbreakable and Glass and how Split is kind of a standalone movie except for the scene at the end, um, I think Split would have worked better as either a short film or a series of like vignettes, like short videos, one for each personality, because the ones we get in the film 
of consequence are the kid, Edward. Um, the OCD guy who kidnaps girls, and the oh, British woman. Edward, Dennis, and Patricia. The the other ones really don't affect the storyline at all. And I think I think that's where the, the problems lie with the writing of Split. If you're going to have these uh, characters, because they are characters, um, and th- th- by extension this goes to the three girls that were kidnapped. They don't, aside from the final girl, and even that's kind of iffy, like they don't play a consequence in, in the major plot line. They could have easily been like, you know, Doorknobs. random college girl number one, <laughs> random college girl number two. Um, so, and again, some of that ties into horror tropes, you know, the, the final girl. But at the same time, the whole, the whole appeal of Unbreakable and now by extension Glass is that this is a world that, while smaller, still has heavy consequences. And I think that's what Mike's getting at. We want to see an overseer movie. Now that the origin was established in the first film. We want a solo movie of him just protecting like the little guy in Philadelphia with his son being his uh, his Oracle Alfred character. I think that's something people would want to see um, a full 90 minute to two hours of. Um, can I pause it? Because um, it just, just occurred to me where I was like, well, would you watch a Loki movie? Well, did we just watch a Loki movie? Is Glass a super villain movie, not a superhero movie? Mm. I think Glass is so. What, yeah, I mean, what we were hoping for at the end of last week's episode right. uh, is that this would be a commentary on team up movies. This would be a commentary on something like Batman versus Superman. This would be an Avengers commentary, and to the point where so we've established that Glass works best when it is. A, a direct through line and continuation of the plot points from Unbreakable. So let's walk through a couple of those. Mm. Uh, one, M. Night Shyamalan retroactively links all of his own characters <laughs> 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 where oh, he, he had a misspent youth trying to deal drugs near the university stadium, right. and then he became a landlord. Which or is, the, is the most crime-ridden sports stadium in all of America. And there was so much guns and drugs into a college football stadium in Unbreakable. <laughs> 2000 was a rough year. Yeah. Um, so now he's reformed his ways. Pre-9-11. Um, he's at his... Uh, he's then again the the landlord, I guess, of this building where um, Ken, Kevin Wendell Crumb's therapist lived and died. And so then he shows up again um, buying security equipment from David Dunn, who's opened up his own uh, personal security shop. So that's cute. So then the other thing here is... Cute is the only word. Cute is the only word yeah. for that entire... Yeah, it was that, cute. There is, there is, and if we could just stop to talk about this, the self-indulgence of a director putting themselves in their own movie, I never like. I hate Quentin Tarantino in Pulp Fiction. He is the worst part of that movie. <laughs> he is the worst part of that movie, just talking fast nonsense the entire time. Hitchcock did it with a little more grace. Well, because he's just in like individual shots. Yeah. I think, though, I think M. Night Shyamalan is a self-indulgent director. Yeah. I just, and, and it's not just putting himself in the movies. It's like all the self-referential stuff. Mm-hmm. And like we were cracking up during Unbreakable when the mom goes, there's a twist at the end. There's a surprise <laughs> ending. And it's also like, going back, I don't want to belabor the point of why Split wasn't great, but Two-Face works, right? Uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde works. Mr. Jekyll and Dr. Hyde, whatever. The Hulk works. 
So M. Night Shyamalan goes, well, you know what's better than two? 24. <laughs> it's too many. And every time he's on a junket and James McAvoy's like, yeah, I did 24 characters. I want the interviewer to go, hey, why? <laughs> and also, we only saw nine of hey, them. why that many? So uh, they, they hint at it as like, oh, maybe there needs to be a quorum or like a, a super majority of personalities aligned with the Beast in order to let the Beast out. Right. Otherwise, they can filibuster him and keep Wh- him Which inside. is just retconning a bad idea. Yeah, right. Right. It's like, okay, now we can figure out how to make this like uh, something that is significant. Yeah, so the things that work well in this film then, um, there are in terms of meta commentary on supervillains, on team-up movies, one, they've now, I think, and Shyamalan sort of, backed into this accidentally mm-hmm. just by virtue of having Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, for sure. Is yeah. he gets to play a villainous version of Nick Fury in yeah. this, where he even specifically talks to the Beast about what are you here to avenge, and we're going to team up, and they're gathering people with extraordinary abilities. And, but, and it's also interesting how, if, because McAvoy's Professor X, he's Magneto in this, and then... Uh, 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 Sarah Paulson is Nick Fury, and so uh, so uh, Mr. Glass is fighting against the organization that you know controls yeah, everything. That's and true. So Clover, that was also, yeah. or the Clover tattoo people are basically Shield. Yeah. So yeah, so he's inverting all of this, which is cool. And then to the and very specifically, the magazine with this big tower, which is again big MacGuffin, big misdirect, also a diehard <laughs> nod, maybe in that it's a big Japanese building that we assume people are gonna. Die hard. I, I thought it was a stretch, but you. Uh, the more you explained it, the more it made. It does seem like Nakatomi Plaza. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> this is going to be a a, a a climactic moment in a giant skyscraper yeah, with Bruce never Willis. Even get close. <laughs> yeah. The uh, I just I know this is a departure, but um, one of the guards play the one who's going to drop the flashlight on his leg plays Lenny Bruce in the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and he just played the exact same character in the movie. He has, like, all the exact same twitches and the same accent and cadence, and everything's the same. So speaking of Marvelous, the one other, like, cute little, and again, acute is the right word for better or worse, um, that we see, the cute little bit here, is the magazine that people keep throwing around and announcing the opening of Nakatomi Plaza here calls it um, a new, a true marvel. Yeah. And the typeface of that is absolutely the Marvel logo um, on purpose. So, so this is interesting because this is what we hoped for. This is why we like this, I think. Um, yeah, is that uh, one, Shyamalan has, with his weird flex, said, oh, I've turned down opportunities to direct Marvel and DC movies so I can do my own thing um, in order to get this opportunity that he by accident has of Sam Jackson in his little weird mini-universe to play on sort of a an inverted commentary of what it means to be a mastermind and a creator of a superhero team. So that's really awesome. That's well, well put together. I was going to say, maybe M. Night is trolling us all. Maybe he had all this planned out from... No. Bullshit! Like, like you, you know, to play, to That's play, to the play, real twist. To, to play, real tin, twist. To play, to play to the tinfoil uh, hat uh, community. Like, maybe he knew, like, someday Sam Jackson would play a superhero uh, in multiple and movies. James McAvoy, and James McAvoy, and everyone would love. And Marvel. even though he was never Marvel or DC diehard, uh, Brian Michael me. Bendis or whoever didn't even know, Ex- like, that they were gonna make Nick Fury Ultimate look like Sam Jackson. No, he has the touch thing. 
So oh, right. M. Night <laughs> just touches people and he goes, I know what's going to happen. <laughs> but even though he didn't uh, play DC or Marvel, Bruce Willis has done comic book films before. So, um, oh, he uh, did Red. And Sin City. Um, so not one of the big two, but, um, but I was going to say maybe he, um, uh, I guess I think the reason people liked unbreakable was because it took, even though it came before the superhero boom, a lot of this, you know, a lot of these tropes come from the comics before the films were a big thing. And he took them, twisted them on the head and said, you know, let's try something a little different, you know, look at it in a way that hasn't been looked at before. So if this is like kind of a tip of the hat to, oh, I've got Nick Fury as evil Magneto Xavier in my movie, you know, maybe he's doing it, um, you know, as kind of a bizarro version, like an inverted reflection seen in the glass mirror. Would we like Unbreakable? If it, like one of the things I like so much about Unbreakable is I I'm like it was way ahead of its time. Mm. If it were made today, I mean, if it were made today, would it just be glass? Because that was made today, <laughs> right? But um, but yeah, it would we think it was so clever with all these being so popular? No, no, we wouldn't. I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week. Is glass? Sorry, Unbreakable feels like it has training wheels on. It's very much belaboring the exposition of this is the way comic book stories work. Like, I get it. I've watched so many of these. Right. But what works about it is, one, it's ahead of its time because it, it needed to educate its audience because they didn't have that at the time. And two, it's actually a genre piece. So it is a superhero movie hidden inside Death of a Salesman. It's hidden inside this, like, midlife crisis divorce movie. And so this film does the current version of that, which is it takes a commentary on superhero culture as it exists now. So ten, you know, in 2000, there would have been no reason for the Doctor to, like, bitch about comic book conventions and, and fanboys. And right, so yeah. she's, she's pinpointing how much of a bigger deal superhero culture is now. Right. And so it is. I think if, if Unbreakable were made today, it would be glass because it's dealing with a s different issues. So let's talk about uh, a little bit about where everyone is at the beginning of the movie. So we talked about how um, Bruce Willis and his son are operating this little uh, mom and pop shop of, you know, taking down, quote unquote, bad guys uh, in Philadelphia at nighttime or whatever. And their front is like they sell security systems for uh, folks to come in and buy like one M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, uh, I keep wanting to call him Dr. Glass. I feel like that's a more nefarious name. Uh, but Mr. Glass is where he was at the end of the first movie. So he was committed for being criminally insane in this asylum or whatever. And, um, oh boy, what's his name? Uh, what do we call him? The Beast. Let's call him the Beast. The, the Horde. Let's call him the Horde. Uh, the Horde is still at large up to his old tricks. He just... Uh, took four cheerleaders. He's tied them up. Uh, there was a great scene, and uh, at this like I was really riding high on the movie. There was a huge dip in the middle. Why'd they go to the institution? Right, Is that where you're going. When they go to the institution, it was it was it was a it was a marked decline. But when fucking Hedwig comes out in the rollerblades, I was cracking my shit up the entire time i thought it was so funny um and mcavoy does have the range to do like four or five characters very well um and it doesn't detract from from the story and so they uh what's his face bruce willis 
uh, is is looking desperately looking for the horde. He's desperately looking for the horde, and his son is like, "Dad, don't stop taking walks at night. This is too much. You're not gonna find whatever." And then he finds him, and he follows him, and they are. Do we have any sense of how they knew they were there? Is this just the espionage element of this secret organization that they just suddenly show up outside where these two people are fighting, these two metahumans? I think so because we've we established later that the doctor has known about David Dunn for years and was like, well, gotcha, he's yeah. pretty much low level. He's not really doing anything to anybody. He's taking out the occasional crook or we'll leave him alone. Okay, yeah. But because the horde has shown itself and because now David's going after the horde, that's too high profile for the Clover Society to to abide. Yes. And so then this is when they all converge. And so this is where, like, the real meat of the story is. And arguably, like, the weakest part of the story because it feels contrived. Because it is. Like, they're they're positing a world in which a secret organization exists that has an ear to the ground and the capacity to identify metahumans before they become a public presence. And so they come to this 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 place and... What is interesting is that each room is outfitted similarly to Magneto's like plastic box room in mm-hmm. X Men uh, with something that will uh, nullify their power. So these strobe lights that uh, cause the horde to change a, to a different personality, which they just call them hypnosis lights. Yeah, hypnosis lights, which just disorients him enough. It's a reset switch. Yeah. yeah, so that he's he's constantly resetting, um, which that was a great i think uh device that m Night uses because then you get quick versions of each of these characters and then mcavoy has an ability to have like a like an like an uber uh sort of uh person because the character seems to get frustrated that it's turning and so there's a core character there but it's a different character every time Mm -hmm. and so it's dealing with that frustration and then uh, what's his face uh, done is in a room that will flood and he'll drown. I still don't understand <laughs> his aversion to water. He is just like He's everyone just else. Normally, <laughs> he can just drown from water. Yeah, I think I think we have to understand it as the Martian Manhunter thing, where he's weak to fire right. the same way pretty much everything, everything else is, is, but he's also just afraid <laughs> of it. Yeah, if you almost drowned in a pool when you were a kid, you probably might never want to swim again you know okay i was gonna say the precedent is set for david to have a phobia of water any kind of body of water that's big enough for him to submerge in before years before he finds out he's indestructible it it's a childhood uh repressed memory um and we see that in other comic book films you know magneto being a survivor of auschwitz and all these other like he's not like especially weak to nazis <laughs> no i no i know but i'm saying like it, i think we we talked about when we were watching split or unbreakable about triggers and how even yeah, though they're definitely. meant to be superheroes they still have emotional and uh memory induced triggers um, but with um, yeah, that's actually a really good point. So Mike just brought up so Heroes in Crisis, which 360 fans or just people who are listening to the Friday account tie-in will know. We've been covering that book of people's or superheroes' traumatic moments, and there are bits of this um, that that work that way. The one thing I was going to say just before you move on is that um, to actually put an even finer point on the inversion of Samuel L. Jackson's role here, the Clover Society is 
absolutely the logical extension of what Hydra was trying to do in Winter Soldier that Nick Fury signed off on, even though he wasn't really clear on it. But the whole point of those flying battleships was to use advanced analytics to identify threats to Hydra before they became threats and kill them. And Dr. Stephen Strange, you know, high school honor students, anybody who might challenge the rule of Hydra would get snuffed out. And so we're just basically living in a world in which S.H.I.E.L.D. or Hydra got what it wanted, which is cool. Yeah. Very big brother-esque. Um, quick thing to what you were saying a minute ago. Some of this falls apart when you try to pick it apart because if this Clover Society was watching David for years... How would they have known since everybody just sees him as lucky and unbreakable? It wasn't until Split, which is what, a few months or weeks before this film, that you that even the Clover Society would know beyond any reasonable doubt the existence of metahumans. With Unbreakable, it was all just this crazy rich guy who caused accidents because he messed with the equipment. There wasn't really any you know fantastical element to it that would cause a Clover Society to pull a hydra and be like, we need to nullify these people. Well, I think you're giving them two. The, the thing that doesn't exist in Unbreakable, that exists in comic books, and the reason Glass works is the the secret society, oh. the big organization. So mm-hmm. that's just another trope of comics that always exists that they don't have. And the idea here is, you think about like Bane. Like if one guy can kind of put the pieces together with not a whole lot of evidence of like who's the secret identity then probably it's like if Bane can do it the Court of Owls can do it right like you know if if one random villain can do it if they're really concentrating then Hydra can do it so it's like that comic book thing of you if you think about why hasn't this happened yet it's because it just hasn't happened yet like there's so much happening and if if there are secret societies and there are different threats and there are different villains and organizations who like always existed in the world but you don't come in contact with them until you come in contact with them can i uh, also say and it's almost like um the only way they could kill both of these characters was to have them fight each other mm. like that was not i don't know it didn't seem like that was her plan like she wanted to convince them that they weren't heroes right but then them fighting each other was their excuse to call on the swat team and you know and nullify them basically yeah i mean they have yeah. they say like we're not executioners we're just trying to suppress these superhumans convince them they don't exist lobotomize them or at the very last resort kill them but we still need a cover and yes. so they is like oh well you know run of the mill police brutality yeah <laughs> it's a fine cover and she also says uh that uh because so, so they they have this like meeting places like restaurant or whatever and they're like the movers and shakers or whatever who are overseeing or bankrolling this whole process and at the end of the movie she's like i'll move on to the next city or whatever which would lead you to believe that there are like metahumans popping up in in Baltimore, New York, and Little Rock, and fucking Los Angeles. Like they're all over the place, and these people are the fixers who go in and either convince people that they're not superheroes. Which I want to see what that looks like, because how can you possibly convince a guy who doesn't get sick, never gets injured, and can bend steel bars <laughs> that he's not a superhero? Yeah, he did not seem very convinced in this movie. No, it yeah, it's it, like that's just didn't happen and that's one of the reasons why it's sort of like i'm like just get to the fucking because this is all going to go haywire we all know it's going to go haywire this is not going to work and And like waste a lot of movie 
with her attempting to make this work when you know it's not gonna. Right, and it's just like a proselytizing thing that M. Night can do about uh, it's psychiatrists and stuff like that. Another thing that is this, um, this huge overarching theme in this film, and I want to know, <laughs> I don't want to psychoanalyze, but I'm going to, um, if because what's the message of this movie? It's like, don't let people tell you. Don't trust doctors. <laughs> don't trust doctors. There's a lot of Scientology in, <laughs> in that regard. But it, it's like, uh, don't let people tell you that you can't do something. Show yourself to the world. Make yourself vulnerable. You can overcome. Well, and this is a man. That's the villains. That's the villain's goal. That well, that's Just... the villain's goal, right? But this is a man who everyone for, for the last ten years has been telling him, <laughs> "You can't do this. You're bad at this. You're not going to overcome. You can't do it." And so then he gets a little, a little headway, a little leverage. He starts making some hits. Starts making some hits, and then he comes back with this movie. It's like. I fucking won and you fucking you fuckers better recognize and then the critics shit all over it. <laughs> yeah well that was um and I the, the, just generally I want to talk about the message of this like what the fuck is it there was a scene where she was going into all of where the doctor was going into all the problems of comic books and how we pretend and convince ourselves that like the hero can overcome or something like that. And like, and first on the, on the first level, I was like, stop talking to us about comic books. Like, I don't need all of that. And then on another level, it was like, stop trying to say you're amazing. Like I can enjoy this movie without you telling me to. (laughs) So, Uh, I don't know what the message of this film is uh, other than, um, don't be ashamed of who you are, which we've gotten in the X-Men films and how that's, uh, you know, telling the other uh, of the world that they are beautiful as they are, whether it's minority or somebody who is not heterosexual or whatever the case is. We've kind of gotten this message before. That's the only message I could take away from it. Uh, yeah, I want- not that it's a bad thing, but I'm glad that I guess I'm glad it's the villain who's saying it. For a change, because usually it's the hero side who says it, and this time Mr. Glass is saying, you know, the world needs to see us for who and what we are. The best heels always say something that is has a kernel of truth to it, but they say it in a way that is problematic. Right. So it's like you can't hate them too much because they're, you know, they're right, but they're the way they go about it is wrong. And in fact, the uh, interesting about the X Men because. The, the institutional part of this especially feels very much like Legion. Uh, even the art direction, kind of the weird, like, are you crazy or do you have powers or is it both? Mm. So maybe my point is that Shyamalan on his best day is like 75% of the way to... Um, a good TV show. Yeah, a good TV show. <laughs> and the guy who writes Legion, who also wrote Fargo, and may or may not finally be writing a Doctor Doom movie. Uh, Nick, I'll look it up and we'll come back to it. Oh, that's cool. Um, just a few other things to point out before we move on to the Rotten Tomatoes review. So the uh, Sarah Paulson does a great job in this movie, I thought. She is able to uh, just be like that sneaky, devious person who uh, is, is, is super assertive, is super engaging. Um, the supporting cast, like the three folks that you brought up, like the loose threads, they didn't make a lot of sense. But I'm 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 not sure that's entirely their fault because the movie ends on this 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 triumphant 
note that defies all logic of the movie. Like, they should have been killed, but for the most part, I think they did a good job. M. Night Shyamalan, as much as he's critiquing superhero movies and being like, this this is like how comic books work, XYZ, is, is also smart enough to know that a lot of the things that draw people to superhero movies that one might critique, for instance... Um, uh, overshadowing the hero because the villain is more interesting. It, he plays right into that too because the the villain in this is infinitely more interesting than Bruce Willis, who by the time he gets locked up, it really doesn't matter because Sam Jackson and James McAvoy are the stars of the movie for the rest of the way until they need Bruce Willis to come out and kick their asses and stuff. Um, for the cameras, right? Just for the cameras. No, I, I agree. Um, even in Unbreakable, which is still the best of these three films, at least to me, um, I like Bruce Willis as an actor, um, whether it's Die Hard or something more uh, introspective like this. We care about his personal life in Unbreakable, you know, his marital troubles, his relationship with his son. But we don't care about we care about David Dunn because he's not yet fully overseer. And even in that movie, just like in this film, Mr. Glass is the most interesting character. I mean, this one, like like we were saying, uh, James McAvoy as the Beast and the Horde do throw in some some juicy tidbits. But this has been Mr. Glass's show from the start. And a lot of that is, yeah, the, the philosophy that he represents. So um, really the the idea of the sort of that villain, it's, it's kind of Watchmen-y. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. And which... And that's fine, I guess. Right. Uh, we've seen variations <laughs> on that theme for a while. Watchman is an adjective that can mean many things. Yeah, it can mean very many things. Um, but, the, but the same sort of self-congratulatory, look how clever I am, feels very watchman also. Haha, <laughs> I am um, smart. Yes. And uh, Noah Hawley is the guy who writes Legion. Okay. Um, who I think has really sort of supplanted Shyamalan as master of, like, twisty psychological yeah. um, introspection. So Okay. Okay. Uh, Time for our, our segment here. Their Tony Award-winning segment. Um, so what we do, if you haven't listened to the show, Orlando, is we <laughs> look at the pull quote for Rotten Tomatoes, and uh, we just do a live reaction to it. That We have some, some old favorites on this list. The overall consensus was, I close the fucking page... Like a 36%. At 36%. And the critics' consensus is Glass displays a few glimmers of M. Night Shyamalan at his twisty world building best, but ultimately disappoints as the conclusion to the writer director's long gestating trilogy. And it's important to, to see that um, the audience reaction is 77%. And Venom performed similarly, I think, where the yeah. audience reaction was off the charts and every, all the critics hated it. Yes. Um, what I had seen, I want to see how, how much that lines up with all these reviews is that everybody thought these twists were fairly unsatisfying right i found these twists to be very satisfying and it kind of wraps it up nicely so let's see i also found them to not really be twists right yeah it's just right not (laughs) really twisty at all in a traditional shamalamian way so matthew lacona from the san diego reader he will either give you a five or a zero uh so he says there are a few thoughtfully placed cameras and thrilling moments bruce willis versus a door (laughs) (laughs) Uh, for one, but they're not it's nearly thoughtfully placed. Yes, thoughtfully placed, <laughs> thoughtfully placed cameras. <laughs> but they're not nearly enough to make this self-conscious live-action comic book worthwhile. Um, which I there, 
the self-consciousness and the self-indulgence and the self-referentiality, I think, in Unbreakable was way more subtle than it is in this film. Everything about this movie is bigger. It's it's more... What are you saying? I just think Unbreakable, It's I think it's exactly what Andrew said. Um, he was making a film that had like a superhero story inside of it. Right. And this, he was making a superhero film. Right. Where, it, can you imagine if in, I can't even think of an example, but like in Infinity War, if, <laughs> if everyone's getting beat up in Wakanda and then fucking Mark Ruffalo turns, he's like, this is where Thor's going to come, probably. <laughs> Thor just busts into Wakanda. <laughs> uh, at, at one point, I don't know if it's the, it might be Glass's mom who talks about, yeah, in the limited series, there's always like a big you know, spotlight moment. It's like, yeah, it's the big bullshit moment we talk right, about right, all the yeah. time with the Friday tie-in. Oh, well, can, can you uh, unpack this? Goddamn brouhaha. <laughs> it's like a goddamn brouhaha. But can you unpack this? So what is the meaning behind... Uh, when she comes up to him and says, but it's a limited edition, blah, blah, And he goes, it's not a limited edition, Ma. It's an origin story. You want to take a crack at this? Yeah, I, I actually thought, because I heard that, and I'm like, oh, there's something greater at work here. One of the kids, actually, the whole time I was That's waiting what I for thought, the girl yeah. whose name is Casey Cook. Right. I was saying, yeah, I was like, okay, <laughs> you got a comic book name. I'm like, you're going to be a superhero. Yeah. But I think the idea is, he said it's an origin story because then everyone around the planet who sees the videos is going to realize their potential or whatever. Right. And that's, or whatever. Uh, agreed. Um, I, I was uh, going to say what Sam beat me to the punch of. I think the first film is the Overseer Mr. Glass origin film. And then Split, you know, even though we were less than satisfied, is the origin story for The Beast and the rest of the Horde. This is the origin story because it finishes the stories of Mr. Glass, the Beast, the Horde, and the Overseer. It's the origin story, not for Casey Cook, the girl who was in Split, but the Horde's... Okay, bad word. The 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 the, the thousands... Legion. The, the Legion. I was going to say that. The Legions of... Um, new metahumans that we haven't seen in any of the films, you know, that these three paved the way, even though they lost their lives for other people to come out of hiding and be like, we're the metahumans and we don't care about no goddamn Clover society sniping people from a distance. We're going to like show ourselves to everybody. I think that's the origin story that he was referring to. This is supposed to be potentially like there's a phase two of the Shyamalan verse (laughs) on its way. It would be cool though. I think it would be cool if he, if he like, built that out and invited other directors and stuff to make things in a shared sh- what would it be called not East Rail 177 that is a terrible name well, <laughs> are all his movies supposed to take place in the same universe no no there's no, no science aliens in the <laughs> I would like like a crossover where the science aliens do like an invasion and try to f- show up on earth again and metahumans fight them with water guns I guess yeah, yeah water guns <laughs> yeah I mean because they all I mean they all take place in the same Eastern Pennsylvania or whatever. So that's true. Philly. So maybe uh, you you never know. Uh, wait. So we're gonna do another review, a positive review this time. Manola Darg is from the New York Times. New York Times gave it a positive review. That's big because they're like the biggest paper in New York City. Um, <laughs> uh, Shyamalan's talent for primitive scares remains intact in Glass, as does his love for cramming a whole lot of story in one feature. It doesn't sound like a positive. Uh, pull quote. 
that sounds like uh, this is an overstuffed mess. Damning with, with faint praise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with uh, bullshit uh, jump scares. Wait, I want to see this other positive review. If Unbreakable was ahead of the curve, arriving as it did on the cusp of the superhero movie Boom, then Shyamalan's belated new sequel, Glass, is perversely and even admirably out of step. Original score, B-. minus. I from feel AA like Dow to AV Club. Rotten Tomatoes, what you doing? I, I feel like that's, there's more to that review because that part doesn't sound positive. Um, I was just going to say to the New York Times review we just went through, um, He this this is what people keep mentioning because so many people think of M. Night and automatically they go to Sixth Sense. There aren't any scares in this movie nor the previous two entries. I mean, yes, Split has a lot of suspense, but I wouldn't call them scares per se. Um, just like a lot of Shyamalan's films are suspense thrillers, not horror films. This one, I feel, is more action-oriented than anything. Yes, there is suspense, but I feel like Primitive Scares is such a mislead. That's just me, though. Okay, so let's do a Michael Phillips from the Chicago Tribune. Glass ranks as one of the most laborious trilogy cape, cape cappers. Oh, Cartilogy Cappers, in recent years, forcibly entwining two narratives that don't really feel like natural fits with each other. And I think that this is correct. I think that M. Night accidentally fell into a trilogy, caught lightning in a bottle, uh, revived Unbreakable after the success of Split, and then sort of things started to fall into place, and he started to retcon ideas and build them out in this world. And it is... A very, I mean, we watch all three back to back to back. It is a very inconsistent tone. It's an inconsistent execution. It's an inconsistent. Uh, acting is inconsistent. The, the acting <laughs> is inconsistent. It is one of the most inconsistent trilogies maybe ever. Can you think of another one? Uh, maybe Indiana Jones with like Temple of Doom. Okay. But even that feels more cohesive. Were any of those original Batman movies supposed to be trilogy-esque mm, that's a good question no if, well if, it's, it's like so it's plausible that val kilmer and george clooney's batman are supposed to be like the same batman where like the rest of like the rest of that world feels kind of similar mm-hmm. but even that is like that's kind of as disjointed as it gets right i was gonna say indiana jones maybe but um technically it's quadrilogy now yeah fuck that <laughs> <laughs> right oh, that's pretty inconsistent too yeah it is um so yeah I'd have to sit and think about which trilogy is more inconsistent. I feel like I'm forgetting an obvious one. But this this is what I'll posit in terms of inconsistency. Because I do agree. there is there's It's not as cohesive as one would like when thinking about a, a trilogy or any film series with multiple entries. It's easy for, for that, that final scene in Split that actually connects it to Unbreakable, long before Glass was even written. It's easy to put that... like together at the last minute after test screenings in like post-production similar to what marvel does with their post-credit scenes um i mean now it's a common staple that they have the post-credit scenes for marvel films but um if i remember the first avengers the shawarma scene was done in post-production they had to do quick reshoots that's why you don't see the cap's face because chris evans has his goatee and he looks very un steve rogers-esque at the time it's easy to tack on the the bruce willis nod from unbreakable in post-production, after test screenings, gave Shyamalan his most successful film in a long time. People loved McAvoy, the premise. He's like, hmm, what's a movie I want to revisit? Oh, Unbreakable. How do I connect these two? Boom, tacked on, final scene. 
and that is a good point too because the 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 amount of the the faint hints that the split uh, exists in the same world is unbreakable are all very accomplishable in reshoots there's like two scenes that gesture towards unbreakable and then the final post credit scene but like the train thing is dad dying on a train that's like a conversation with his uh, therapist in a flashback like they can do reshoots on something like that pretty easily um so the next one we'll read time that was a martha moment for me by the way the train thing really yeah it really was and and maybe that was on purpose of like you know a commentary on sort of the coincidences in in superhero films but it's another one of those things of like form kind of kills function it's right like, well i have to make it a goofy coincidence because that's how these stories work it's like, but it's bad yeah. when those stories work that way <laughs> yeah it's like it's like uh i saw a movie called the meg and there is a scene in which a a an african-american male can't swim and they he's like in the water he's like fumbling and shit and then uh somebody makes a comment is like that's racist and it's like you don't get off the hook by saying it. Like you did it in the movie. It's racist. You can't say it. it's not not racist now because you said it's racist in the movie. It's like, oh yeah, this is a bad uh, plot convention that we're ribbing from comic book movies. Yeah, and you did it. Like you did that bad thing. That's very stupid. Um, <laughs> so Time Magazine, Stephanie Zasharek. Uh, Shyamalan believes so strongly in the dramatic impact of this trilogy that he almost makes you believe in it too. That's his secret superpower, but the illusion is fragile. Believes so strongly in... It, listen, the, these are not very impactful films when watched in a trilogy. Unbreakable is like, whoa. The, the, the twist in Unbreakable is so subtle and elegant at the end where you just... He invites him to touch his hand, and then he realizes that he was behind the whole thing. It's like, and that was peak Shyamalan, where it hadn't gotten tired, um, and where he was able to do it in a way that was elegant and wasn't like, this is stupid. Um, then, just you go into Split, which is a totally different movie. It's a different movie entirely. And then you get to Glass, and the movies are trying to make a point, and they're so dramatic, and they're so like... How look how clever this is, but not, none of us in this room can articulate what the point was. What the fuck the point was of this tr of these movies? <laughs> I mean, we can, we sort of can like overcoming and stuff like that, but nothing interesting, nothing, nothing great, nothing good. It's not. I mean, you know what's a way better satire, and that really does shed light on. There are two things on superhero movies, and they're fucking. Their, their insanity. One is if you watch any of the Avengers outtakes and you realize just how impossible it is to do any of that superhero shit. Like there's one outtake where Chris Evans is trying to break a lock with his shield and it just doesn't work. And you're like, no, this is what would really happen with superheroes. Like none of the fucking cool shit that happens would actually happen. But then Lego Batman is probably a much better satire of the superhero genre. It's, it's, it, 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 it it does it in a way that's more dramatically impactful. Like, I actually feel bad for a tiny Lego Batman yep. <laughs> and Bruce Wayne and his solitude. And it is also like Will Arnett as Batman being like, and then this is where I fucking beat the bad guys. And it's it's good. It, it, it balances that really well. Whereas these movies, 
are like, oh, these are the bad things that are in superhero movies and also in this movie. I think what the the deal is, and it's also interesting that um, the 1966 um, Batman <laughs> shows up in the in the at the very end. So I think what we've discovered is that the Lord and Miller meta commentary. Um, and sort of cleverness, even when you're dealing with pathos, works better in a comedic setting. And when you're in a drama, it just comes off as being kind of dumb. And in <laughs> yeah. fact, to the point to the point where the main villain woman uh, didn't figure out Glass's plan on her own. She had to overhear two comic book nerds who uh, Mouse here made the point that they could have just cast the two of us yeah. in that film um, to make a point about the the mastermind's master plan. And that's when she figures out that Glass has been recording stuff. So she kind of sucks, and the whole thing is just better when it's comedy. Yeah. I, uh, I do think M. Night Shyamalan has been defeated by his own brand. Because right. now he either has to make a movie with a twist, or he got it got so tiresome, as you said. Like I remember, um, at the end of the village, the right. secret is that the monsters aren't real. And my older brother was like, "Great! If everyone believes it, it's a lie. If no one believes it, it must be true." It's like it got so predictable, and now it's like even if he made a movie with no twist, it would have to be in the context of well, he's just doing it. To show you right. how he can do it without a twist, and yeah, and, and he's conditioning the audience to go into his movies. You you never he just want keeps playing yeah. into it too. You never want a viewer to go into your movie immediately skeptical. You're like, what? What is this fucking? Don't you trick me? <laughs> like that's how people watch his movies now. So when they when they called it his superhero power in that review, it's like, well, it's he's just been defeated by the whole. Yeah, he's been defeated. He's he's created his own villain to defeat him. And what's interesting is, yeah, his tragic flaws has beaten him. What's funny is, you know what works really well in as a superhero movie twist is Wonder Woman, because nobody expected there was gonna be a twist in that movie. Right. Everybody thought it was like, oh, it's an our superhero origin story. That it fucking twist. That was like a Shyamalan peak Shyamalan Shyamalan twist. Yeah, the sword and Ares. Like what the? Yeah, that movie works really well, and he just can't do it. Like he can't have his name his name on it now. Yeah. I look at M Night's twists as a food dish that you like. So the first time you have it, you're like, "Oh, this is great! I've never had this before." And then you have it a few more times. Yeah, I love it. I haven't had it since this, but yeah, I still like it. And then after so many times, you're like, "You know what? I do like twists when they're well done, but I want something different." And I think I was telling this to everybody earlier today. After The Sixth Sense, which was successful in every sense of the word, awards, critical acclaim, audience reviews, box office, and all people... It's a really good movie, even before you find out the big twist, but all people remember is the twist, because it was so shocking the first time you see it. And I think he was so, like, just blown away by the success level he reached, he's like, I have to have a twist in every movie or else people are going to hate me and not come to my movies. And hence, why we got his filmography as it is today. The crazy thing for me about The Sixth Sense, since we've said The Sixth Sense, is even when you know the twist, because I never saw the movie not knowing the twist, mm-hmm. it's still a great movie. It yeah. It's, it's just really well done. And so I think that the point that we're making going back is that your favorite dish eating it again and suddenly it becomes sort of like a rut and a crutch and exactly. it really just it says more about your sadness as a person also a point made by lord and miller in the lego batman movie <laughs> yeah with lobster <laughs> thermidor <laughs> uh, two points so 
to extend on Orlando's metaphor. So it's like it's like the sixth sense is like a steak and a really well done potatoes, like a really good medium rare steak and a really well done potatoes. You go to the same restaurant, right? And then an unbreakable, you get it, and there's like a little gristle on the steak, right? And then you're like, all right, that's fine, it happens. And then you go the next time, and then it's medium instead of medium rare, and that signs. And then you go the next time, and then the potatoes aren't like fully mashed and it's medium. And then you go the next time, and then it's just charred to a fucking little tiny sliver of a steak, and the the potatoes are cold as shit and not fully cooked. Like, (laughs) are you saying that the cold potatoes and the overdone steak are the village or Avatar or Lady in the Water? You have to specify which Shyamalan film. And then by Avatar, it's just diarrhea on a plate. After the, the the restaurant is closed, it's a health code violation. <laughs> but then finally, they reopened it with a wealthy investor with the visit, and now we get like some relatively good food. Uh, so that was the first point I wanted to make. Uh, the second point is that I I was almost inconsolable at the end of Split, where I was sitting at the front of the room, everybody's behind me, and I was like, "This is the twist." The twist is coming because and I was saying it. I didn't expect any twist. I just wanted so badly for the movie not to end in a, in the, the predictable way it was turning yeah, out. And I think the only twist was like they were in the bottom of a zoo <laughs> and and like the beast is an, an amalgamation thing. of an animal person. Animals are at zoos. Right. So he's animal man. <laughs> the evil. That's is that the twist? I, I, there just wasn't one. Let's rattle off like a few more negative ones. So this is very funny. Mike LaSalle from the San Francisco Chronicle. Worst movie of 2019. Zero out of four. You know how old 2019 is? <laughs> uh, 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 Mara Reinstein from US Weekly says, I see disappointed people, which is d- like it's people in the audience and people on screen. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just a bunch of like uh, people who are mad at each other the whole movie. Uh, Bride Druitt from USA Today. It's a letdown, despite a good amount of emotional richness and occasional glimpses of greatness. I think that's where I that's fall. Probably, yeah, I think that's yeah. the most fair review. It's okay. It's got a couple of clever moments, especially when it's commenting on what it means to be a superhero movie, but it doesn't ever really ascend to great commentary, mm-hmm. and it's certainly not a great superhero movie in any other way. Uh, Joshua Roth cop from timeout says the sixth sense still his only great film is also a therapy psychodrama but whereas that ghost story reckoned with bedrock matters of loss and child abuse glass assumes that we're all going to lean in at dialogue about comic books well to be fair if you're a fan of this show, <laughs> yeah. maybe you will. This guy seems very short-sighted. Yeah, yeah. Th- yeah, that 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 is interesting. It's interesting to to. You're in a comic book cultural moment, right? Yeah, it's interesting to be a film reviewer and be like, people care about comic books. It's like, yes, the. Black Panther just made $1.7 billion. It got nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. Uh, David Elric from IndieWire. For all of the endless blather about how comic books have the power to reveal all of our secret identities, one of Jackson's pronouncements about the power of narrative tropes veers close to making Glass feel like the life itself of superhero movies. It, I, I, it, 
it baffles me how much reviewers hate comic books. Like, and this has been a running thing on this show, as we have consistently run into critics who just are like, this fucking stupid-ass comic book shit, like... This has been a running thing for a day. I remember reading a review exactly like this mm. of The Dark Knight in The New Yorker in 2008. Right, yeah. Like, they've just been doing this shit for a decade, and this is a battle they lost. Yeah, they, they, are, they have lost it so bad. It's like, and the the the... The smart reviewers are like, like Richard Roper and like, uh, oh, did Peter Travers? We got to control F for Peter Travers. We got to find Travers. What I'll say is that the problem here is when all the review reviewers just hate glass or superhero movies, no matter what, it does a disservice to audiences because you don't know which ones are even worth seeing. Because like, well, they all suck. Right. Well, but then some of them don't. And you have to kind of take them on their own merits. And some of them do suck. Yes. But then you never really are able to, to separate the wheat from the chaff. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this because I've said this so many times, I, I can't even bother to count. I think professional critics that we're reading on Rotten Tomatoes and other websites think that the comic book boom or superhero boom or whatever you want to call it, that's really took off with Spider-Man in 2002 and hasn't let up since was a bubble waiting to burst a la the Westerns for a bit and Westerns even came back after a few decades in in some ways not always and I think they assume that this fad is going to die a very slow or quick death depending on what year it is but they don't I, I think they're forgetting just how many billions of dollars I think they assume that the money that movies like Black Panther and Infinity War make are Bitcoin and they just don't exist in the real world. But these are real dollars and that's not even talking about merchandising. And I think they're so used to other kinds of storytelling that, like Andrew said, they're, they're forgetting the merits that are in the whole range of comic book movies. Like comic books, the film adaptations are going to range from perfection to dog shit and everything in between. The only way to know for sure is to watch the film in its entirety. You can't just take somebody at their word and say, oh, Glass is trash or Glass is amazing or eh, it's okay, nothing special. You really don't know until you watch the whole damn thing. And the other thing about like, and this is what boggles my mind about people who are like, oh, we don't want to hear people talk about comic books like we can find it. it these are people who are like, oh, you know what's real? It's like Chekhov and Tolstoy. But you know what, like, Stan Lee was reading when he was, like, writing comic books? He was reading Tolstoy and Chekhov. And he wanted to be a novelist. Like, these are different ways of telling stories with different characters that function using the same kinds of narrative logics. It's like, it it is so just stupid to me when people are like, these fucking comic books are so silly. It's like, no, they're not. Like, they're just books. Anna Karenina is silly in that case. Like, fucking uh, The Sons and Lovers is silly in that case. Like, D.H. Lawrence was writing stories that had these very formulaic structures in his time period, and they were about these things that were like, oh, they, but those were serious about love and loss. It's like, fucking read Batman. Like, that's what that's about. Hemingway just writes Tom King Batman books. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so let's wrap it up. Let's, uh, well, I mean, I think it's this question is pretty obvious, but maybe I'll be surprised. Just go around the horn and see how you would sort of like rank these movies in order from like which is the, 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 the best of the worst. And would you recommend people replicate what we did today? Watch all three movies. 
Uh, let's give our guests the first <laughs> go at this. <laughs> We're um, all in a, so, okay, so so uh, to to rank them, um, I would say Split is the weakest at, for me. Uh, Glass is the middle ground, you know, flashes of brilliance and good stuff in it, but execution could have been better. Uh, but overall enjoyable and Unbreakable is still the best of the three. Um, do I recommend audiences watch them as a trilogy? Um, I say yes, but again, I'm 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 an unabashed completionist. <sighs> But the the pessimist in me says skip split and just do like a, a Wikipedia rundown of the plot, um, unless you're really really interested in seeing James McAvoy flex his muscles the first time around with the multiple characters he plays. That's my take. Um, I would completely watch all three. Um, but the funny thing is, my experience was. My actual real life experience was I watched Split, then I watched Unbreakable, mm. then I watched them all in order. So um, I really appreciated seeing them all in a row, but I had seen the other two right. first. And um, I I was going to say from worst to best, but I would definitely say Unbreakable's the best one and Split is the worst. So, mm. uh, so I would I would agree with that order. So I would say. I would say Split is a totally different movie. It's like, it's not like you should watch all three Matrix movies. It's not like you should watch all three Lord of the Rings because you're not going to understand The Return of the King unless you watch The Two Towers and The Fellowship. Like, you won't. You absolutely will understand Glass if you've only seen Unbreakable. I was just going to say, and even then, you still might not totally understand Return of the King. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. so Good. I would say if, if, if you want to watch, uh, the East rail one, seven, seven, uh, you want to understand that story, you watch unbreakable, read about split, watch, uh, glass. If you are interested in, uh, dynamic character studies and if you are like somebody who really appreciates like a thespian or really appreciates like acting and like interesting exercises in character and stuff then watch split but it's a totally different movie for me yeah and i would even go so far as to say if you came into this and you really enjoyed split if you're one of those people who missed unbreakable 10 years ago and then saw split mm -hmm. you might be really disappointed in glass right because yeah. it's not similar yeah and like you're like, well, at least James McAvoy is doing the same shtick again, and that's okay. But frankly, if you like horror movies, and you came and saw Split, like when we when I walked into the theater, we sat down, we spent a half hour watching trailers. With the so many trailers, with the exception of Captain Marvel, they were all horror movie trailers. Yeah, every single one. Some good looking ones too. Um, yeah. and I don't like horror movies, <laughs> and so with the exception of Us, which like I'm into like weird racial clones maybe mm -hmm. lots of bunnies in that i'm thinking clones thinking clones I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm recording that right now um you heard it here first yeah. clones um beyond that i just i don't think you're gonna like glass yeah so if you're a comic book nerd i think what you do exactly what my what mouse says is you watch glass you read about split you maybe you watch bits and pieces on YouTube to like kind of get a feel for McAvoy's character. You go and you watch Glass. You're fine. If you're a completionist, yeah, sure, watch Split. If you really like Split, you're probably not listening to this podcast, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. 
Um, so that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Thank you both. Uh, our guests will have you back at some point if, yeah. when we get all together again. But this was lovely. Yeah. Orlando and I will inside Oscar Isaac coming out twenty twenty four. Twenty twenty four. Mr. Isaac. <laughs> friend of the show. We'll probably sit twenty twenty four. I was going to say, you'll probably get a Man of Steel sequel before we do the Oscar Isaac uh, podcast. Uh, but that'll do it for this episode of the Friday Time. Follow us on Twitter, Weekly Comic Show. Follow us on Instagram, Wednesday Comic Book Show. Email us at WednesdayComicBookShow at gmail.com. Follow the Cosmologist on Instagram at Cosmologist. Rate and subscribe us on iTunes. Uh, we'll see you in the next one. Bye. You ever seen a nerd speak in thin air? You ever seen such comic book flair? You ever seen two, three, four, five nerds fight and argue over made-up words? Superman, Batman, and the Green Martian approach these worlds with Supreme Court shed. Listen to us as we rant and rave. Flip and follow on to the next page. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.